2: How about Peter? Oh, you're one of his, aren't you? I don't even know the guy. Times three. Did he commit the unpardonable sin? No. Because later he said, God, forgive me. God restored him. Understand as we go through that, if you reject Jesus Christ, if you reject him, you're left with your sin. Sin always separates from God. You've eliminated the only chance to change kingdoms.
0: Some people worry that they have committed the unpardonable sin. However, in today's message, Pastor Mark says that if you're worried about it, you haven't. The warning regarding the unpardonable sin is reserved for those who have fully and finally rejected the last opportunity to come to Christ. They have chosen unbelief at every witness that the Holy Spirit has given of who Jesus Christ is. Even deathbed conversions are possible. Remember the two thieves on the cross with Jesus? Jesus. One believed, the other didn't. Have you placed your faith in Christ? Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark with his continuing study entitled, Two Kingdoms in Conflict.
2: How is this battle going to end in a few years we don't know when there's something called the tribulation coming seven years of hell before that's the rapture all Christians go to heaven that's when you run by the way you don't want to be left behind seven years the book of Revelation tells us that Satan will wreak havoc on this earth hell on earth by the way it's all focused in a little teeny city you've heard of before it's called Jerusalem And it's in a country you might have heard of before, too. It's called Israel. The reason for the Iraq War? Don't kid yourself. It's all about Israel. It's all about the Muslims' hate of the Jews. Oh, they hate Christians, but they hate Jews way more. At the end of the seven years, Jesus will come back. He will confine Satan for a thousand years. He will enforce peace for a thousand years in this earth. We're coming back when the men are new bodies. At the end of the 1,000 years, Satan will be released for a little time, the people that went through that tribulation, and they all have a choice, either to accept him or not to accept him. Jesus will then finally defeat Satan, and everybody in this kingdom of Satan who hasn't changed kingdoms will be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever, separated from the peace of God. That's how the war ends. But it hasn't ended yet. It's, it's still going on right now. In your life and my life, even though we become a Christian's, we know what that flesh does and how it raises up, and we understand what that's like. Then, well, Jesus gives us this picture. Look at it, verse 29. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. See, Jesus uses all kinds of parables to illustrate a spiritual truth. Let me give you an illustration of how that would work. Let's picture a $3 million house over here on the Indian River. You know, in the old days, I mean, that would be a big house. $3 million house today, about probably 1,000 square foot. That's about what you get. If you live in California, it's about 10 by 12 room or something. Well, inside this $3 million house are jewels and a safe, lots of money in the safe, rare paintings. But the owner is always home. And he has surveillance everywhere, plus he has armed guards with machine guns. Well, how are you going to get in that house and rob it? Jesus said, how are you going to get in there and tie up that strong man?" Well, nobody would do that. I mean, there's no real reason, no way to get in that armed fortress. You couldn't do it. Maybe in our movies, James Bond, Pink Panther, somebody like that would find a way in. So spiritually, what is Jesus talking about? Well, look at that again. How can anyone enter a strong man's house, carry off his possessions as he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob the house. Well, the strong man is Satan. The servants, the servants in that house are demons. The house is the kingdom of Satan. It's the world. It's the world we live in. His possessions, his possessions are people who are in that house. Well, how can somebody enter Satan's house Go past the demons, overcome all of them, and bring out a person into the freedom. Who could rob that house? Who could tie up Satan? One person, Jesus. And every time a person becomes a Christian, that's what happened. Jesus neutralizes the power of Satan. And the person comes to God. But they must want to choose to do that. That's the spiritual warfare we're talking about. Jesus puts it in terms we can understand. So Jesus says, I've been attacking the home of Satan and and freeing those who are demon-possessed forever. I'm still doing it today, and he is. In this service, he'll do it. That's a wonderful thing. Then we come to a verse that's, well, it's got some bite to it. Remember 2nd Jesus? Watch this. Look at verse 30. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Now I'm going to put a statement on the board. You've got to have an IQ of about 160 to understand it. The rest of you, I'll try to break it down into small things so you can catch it. But write it down anyway. Maybe over time you'll get it. It's pretty complex. So here's the statement. Jesus says, if you're not following me, well, you're not following me. Pretty complicated, isn't it? Jesus says, if you're not following me, you're you're not following me. What does he mean? He says, if you're not with me, you're against me. What he means is there's no neutral ground. You see quite often, especially in witnessing, we'll talk to people and we'll say, well, what do you think of Jesus? What do you think of Christ? And here's kind of the response you'll get quite often. Well, I don't know, especially during Easter, I think he's a good man and a, a nice philosopher, has some really neat things, kind of up there with Gundy and whatever, really neat statements. And actually, from what I read in the Bible, he's a super teacher. And really, those are all true. And then I'll probably say something like this to the person that's an unbeliever. Well, have you decided to become a follower of Jesus then? Is that something you'd like to do in your life? Are you for him? And one of the responses quite often you get from somebody is, Nah, I'm kind of neutral. No, you're not neutral. I just read in the paper today a big religious section deal about somebody trying to get all the churches together and have this unification deal and atheists and agnostics with every kind of false cult and everything, and we all come together and and have unity. What are you, crazy? You can't have unity. Notice what Jesus says. If you're for me, then we can do some stuff. But if you're not for me, you're against me. There's no neutral ground. There's none of this mix of well a little bit of this and a little bit of that religion, a little bit of this a little bit of that cool no Jesus says it pretty plain he who is not with me is against me so if you're not following Jesus listen, listen if you're not following Jesus you're against Jesus well not I didn't say it he did there is no neutral zone now we come to a couple of verses that, well, you've been asked it and maybe you've wondered about it. Verse 31, and so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Jesus was saying to the crowd, And the Pharisees, if anyone will confess their sins, repent, change their lifestyle, and begin to follow me, then they can receive forgiveness regardless of the type of sins, the number of sins, what your life was like. I'll free you and put you on your road to heaven. So this is an important statement, Jesus. Every sin can be forgiven. That's very valid for me as a pastor. You know, when I talk about people accepting Christ, if I had to say, well, you know, God can't forgive adultery, He can't forgive lying, He can't forgive pornography. Well, He can forgive the thing of pornography, but if you've done it 22 times, only 20 He can forgive. If I had those kind of restrictions, I probably would stop preaching. But Jesus says every sin can be forgiven. It doesn't matter your lifestyle. It doesn't matter if you sit here today with HIV positive. It doesn't matter. God can forgive every and any sin. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, except for one. Now, if you're there that day, wouldn't you want to know what the one is? I'd want to know. Which one is it? Well, a lot of controversy. Hopefully, I can make it clear to you. When Jesus talks about this one exception... Jesus says there's one sin, listen to this, one sin you can't be forgiven. Jesus calls it an eternal sin. It sends a person to eternity to bear under his own guilt, under the wrath of God forever. What does that really mean? Well, in John 16, Jesus says, I'm going to leave this earth and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, God, And he's going to come to this world, he's going to do a lot of things. But in John 16, we're told he does one thing. He's going to convict unbelievers of one sin. And the one sin is not believing in Jesus as their Savior. You see, the Holy Spirit would bear witness to Christ. And the Holy Spirit would say, I'm going to convict you of your sin. So let's talk about this. You know what kingdom everybody was born in. We were born in the kingdom of Satan. My sin separates me with God. I have a sin nature. Now, oh, my whole life, I can't be good enough, can't join enough churches, can't do anything. I can't get rid of my sin to move over here into the kingdom of heaven. I can't do it. That's why Jesus came. So he came, he went to the cross, on the cross, at his death, barren, resurrection. He took your sin, your sin, your sin, your sin, yours, yours, put it on him. He paid for it once and for all. That's why he said, it's finished. We'll talk about that in just a few weeks. So if the Holy Spirit comes to me today and he says, uh, Mark, you're in the kingdom of Satan. You don't want to end there. You're right. What do I have to do? You have to get rid of your sin. Well, how do I do that? Somebody already did it for you. Who is that? Jesus. So the Holy Spirit points out Jesus. That's his role. And he says to me, you need to repent, confess, believe, and begin to follow him. I don't want to do that. Well, now I'm on this process. See, I don't believe the unpardonable sin is this. Watch. Boom. I believe the unpardonable sin is this. What does that mean? I believe it's a lifestyle that when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, he's speaking to all of us, we begin to, well, grieve the Holy Spirit, not interested. And then sometimes if, every time God speaks to our heart, we kind of go, I'm not only not interested, don't bug me again. And you try to put in your mind, even right now, because there's spiritual, I'm um, man, 10 minutes, we're out of here, and I won't have to listen to this anymore. And so you're grieving, you're resisting the Holy Spirit. Pretty soon the heart gets a little hard. So you can come to any Easter service, you can listen to Billy Graham, you can do whatever, and, well, there's not much happening. And then pretty soon our mind gets depraved, like Romans 1 says. And we begin to think, eh, yeah, I don't think there's even a God. We go down this progression. And then the book of Genesis says there comes a time in that process where there's a line in the sand. And when you cross that line, when a person crosses it, the Holy Spirit goes, I won't deal with you anymore. I won't convict you anymore. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you, you can't decide to come to Christ. Now, where is that line in your life? I don't know. You don't want anywhere get near it. So what do I believe the unpardonable sin is? Here's my simple definition. Hopefully it will be clear to you. The unpardonable sin is the final and complete rejection of Jesus Christ. See, on my deathbed, I can accept Jesus Christ. Do you know that's true? Thief on the cross did. One of them. But the other thief... What do he say to Jesus? Get us down from here if you're God, would you? I'm not interested in sin. Get us down from here. It was the complete and final rejection of the only one who could save him. He committed the unpardonable sin. So you say, well, I'm worried that I maybe committed it. Relax. If you're worried, you haven't. Does that make sense? You say, well, I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I talked against Jesus. I couldn't stand Jesus when I was younger, and I said all kinds of things. Join the club. The apostle Paul did, didn't he? In fact, one of his witnesses, Paul says, I was a blasphemer. He didn't even believe in Jesus until he got knocked down on the road. He goes, who are you? I'm Jesus. Who are you persecuting? Whoops. How about Peter? Oh, you're one of his, aren't you? I don't even know the guy. Times three. Did he commit the unpardonable sin? No. Because later he said, God, forgive me. God restored him. Understand as we go through that if you reject Jesus Christ, if you reject him, you're left with your sin. Sin always separates from God. You've eliminated the only chance to change kingdoms. You have no chance, it's not God's fault. It's your fault, because when given the opportunities, you just simply reject it. Now he goes on, and he kind of talks about some things that are interesting. Take a look at this, verse 33. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. We understand that very easily. If there's a good root, then the tree's healthy and the fruit's healthy. What's he talking about? Well, he's, he's talking to these supposedly religious Pharisees. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you who speak evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what's in you comes out. That's a whole series of sermons, but we're going to move on. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment. For every careless word They have spoken. Woo! That one's some thought, but it's another sermon. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. For a Christian, that just means we could lose a lot of our reward by the stuff that comes out of our mouth because it doesn't match really who we are. But for the unbeliever, that has great relevance. What is Jesus saying in this scripture? He's saying this, a real Christian... Is known, proven by their fruit, by their words, by their actions, by their ongoing lifestyle. Jesus said, You Pharisees say I'm working with the enemy, but my fruit's been all good. I freed the man. He sees, he talks. On the other hand, from your hearts, Pharisees, they're evil, blasphemy, bitterness. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus said it like this. Matthew chapter 3. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to be baptized, he denounced them. And he said, you brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee from God's coming judgment? Then he said to these Pharisees, well, you prove by the way you live that you really turned from your sins and turn to God. Don't just say we're safe. We're the descendants of Abraham. That proves Nothing. What is Jesus after here? You see, like many, many people today, you say to them, are you a Christian? Oh, yes. Jesus says, prove it. What do you mean prove it? Well, there has to be a life change. Notice the Abraham, the Pharisees before this, they're saying, we're going to heaven. Notice we're going to heaven because we're descendants of Abraham. Jesus says, I don't care who are your descendants. You're not living Christ-like. Out of your heart's garbage. So what does that mean? You say, here's the confusion in the church. And so Jesus just straightens it right up. He's talking to the most religious people there. And he goes, there's not a chance you're going to heaven. What? If you're not for me, you're against me. And if there's been a change... I'd see it there'd be fruit there is no fruit it's bad fruit let's move on so later Jesus makes a bold statement in Matthew he just says it like this not everyone who says to me hey Lord going to heaven yeah when did the change take place oh about 22 years ago accepted the Lord any fruit uh no but no big deal I'm saved once saved always saved here I go baby We laugh, but be careful, because notice his next words. He said, not everyone will enter the kingdom of God, but only he who does the will of God. Why does Jesus get tied up with this prove-it deal? Because it's easy to say, yep, Christian, been a member of that church for a long time, got baptized, take communion. Man, I give tithes, right off the top. Jesus says, cool. What about your heart? Well... It's exactly right. If there's no proof, then we go back to the earlier statement. You're against him. You're not for him. What do you mean? I believe in him. Then live like it. Here's the last verse I want to give you. It's a challenge to all of us. You're going to see that in 1 John 2.6, John says this, whoever claims to live in him, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. Whoever claims to live in him must Walk that's a lifestyle must walk as Jesus walked well I guess I'm not going to heaven then because I can't walk like Jesus walked exactly but he can give you the power to walk very similar to him can any of us walk exactly like Jesus no we're not God we sin but we're improving we're becoming more like him many of you are good job but some of you are not And the place to get it right is today. Which kingdom are you in? Oh, Pastor Mike, I changed from that kingdom a long time ago. Really? Prove it. Well, I come to church about every six weeks. It's not about coming to church. It's what's happened inside. Is there a change? See, we all come from different backgrounds. Many of you are Catholic. You come to the background. You just went out. And every week you had confession. Remember? All right, get the beads on, do all that stuff and my sins forgiven, go out and sin the, just the same way the next week well us Protestants kind of look at you and go, what's wrong with you guys well the Protestants, what we do I love a verse in that Bible, if I confess my sins, he's favorite. he'll always forgive me of my sins, I just keep confessing and sinning, it's a wonderful lifestyle they're both the same do you understand what I'm saying to you Protestants, Catholic, both the same sure we confess our sin but not so I can go out and do them again I can change that's why God lives in you if you're in this kingdom and you want to be in the kingdom of heaven you have to make a choice you're either for Jesus or you're not and to do that you have to repent and you have to say I want to really see my life change it's not becoming a weirdo religious person I'm not weird no matter what you think (laughs) I just love Jesus and he's at work in my life don't be a pseudo Christian you'll never get into heaven maybe you backslidden maybe you used to walk with God but you don't anymore if you heard God speak to you today I don't care if you're 70 or you're 13 you're either for him or you're against him there is no middle ground either you're gonna go for it or you're gonna fake it go
0: for it there's a lot to be learned about these two kingdoms in conflict Which kingdom are you a part of? In today's lesson, Pastor Mark challenged us to remember that it is by a person's words, deeds, and lifestyle that a real Christian is revealed. What does your life, your words, and your actions say about you? Are you a true follower of Christ? Are you a part of God's kingdom? Do your actions and your words reveal
3: that? Social media is a huge blessing that most of us use every day. We want to encourage you to become our Facebook friend and follow our Twitter feed. At the Facebook page and Twitter feed, we post information about upcoming events, discipleship articles, and encouraging quotes that will inspire you in your walk with Jesus. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com
0: So often the world wants to see a sign from God that He is real. However, in the next edition of Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will share with us that a sign and faith are actually opposite. The Jews in Jesus' day wanted to see a sign from Him so they wouldn't have to exercise faith. Are you guilty of the same thing? Tune in next time as we learn that the Word of God must be mixed with faith to produce life. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through the Gospel of Matthew. That's next time on Lessons for Living.
1: Our eyes have seen and our ears have heard His Word made flesh in a hurting world A new hope He is giving See you. You're...